It's, you can still be smart. I know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. You can always still be dumb. Just <laughs> You're listening to Lead Them to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to Leadham to Life. Zach Krieger, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, Krieger, Krueger, um, let's get this straight once and for all, because I say it wrong or differently Every single time I see your last name. Yeah. So Krieger okay. is what my family calls themselves. But I have another group in Minnesota that's given in and call themselves Krugers. Okay. There's a debate. So there's an identity crisis even within your own family. So really that's nobody right. knows. That's right. Okay. So I answer to either. I used to not, like when I was in elementary school, I would sit and stare at my desk when they'd say Zach Krueger. <laughs> in protest. <laughs> yeah, in protest. And if they'd say my name, I'm like, oh, I'm here. And they're like, why didn't you answer? You didn't say you my didn't name. You didn't say my name. <laughs> yeah. I was like the kid that I dislike having in you class punk. now. Yeah, I know. You, you're such a punk. I know. Okay. <laughs> Besides being a punk, Zach, tell us a little bit about who you are. Cool. Um, I'm a person. Uh, no, Good I'm start. A- <laughs> Great start. <laughs> I'm a, a catechist and teacher in town. So I work at St. George. Um, at least for the next couple months, I've been their director of evangelization, religious ed, all that good stuff. And then I teach at a Gorman. I teach online um, at a homeschooling co-op, Rolling Acres. And yeah, I have four kids. Yeah. They're all girls. How do you um, feel about being the only man in your household? Right now it's good. But okay. everyone keeps telling me things about like teenage years. Oh, that you're a little nervous about. Yeah, I guess. I, okay. I'm not, but I feel like I should be. But you feel like you should be. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they've been telling me too. So I'm preparing myself and trying to like act accordingly, but yeah. right now I'm okay with it. Yeah. 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 You are, um, I, I often think of you, especially when I follow um, Megan's sh- shenanigans on Instagram or <laughs> whatever. I'm like, man, Zach is a strong man to yeah. deal with that much uh, feminine power in one house. Oh, I like to think of myself as a strong <laughs> strong man. Yeah. I kind of like stray away from the Instagram thing. So apparently I'm like, yeah, I'm behind the camera. Yeah. Yeah. You're behind the scenes. We know you're there though. And we're, we're praying for you and in solidarity with you there. So, um, okay. Zach, one of the things that I want to chat with you about is education. I think, um, lately there's really been this kind of renewed sense, uh, for various reasons across the world, um, about education the need to educate ourselves, to better understand, to, uh, uh, yeah, all, all of those things. And me personally, even I've just been diving into my own research and education about the world, about even some work things for me, what are best practices and what's the greatest needs, um, culturally, all these things. Why is education a passionate topic for you? Um, cool. So, uh, I, I guess I come from a line of educators, all like music educators on my dad's side. Okay. And so that's been, and then, um, well, not all, that's kind of what they started the degree, but my, uh, my aunt and uncle, one is a principal, one's been a teacher. Uh, they just retired this last year. My grandpa was a, um, professor at Augie department head for uh, years in the music department. Um, and so it's just kind of what I've been around a lot is teachers and things, um, in college, I was a music education major. I was originally going to be journalism, but um, I did music education. Education was just so that I didn't uh, like 
have no money because <laughs> that's like what minor details. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and and it's very lucrative to be an educator. So obviously, yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I added that on, and then what I found halfway through my courses is that I really was gravitating towards the education side more than the music side. More than the music side. Okay. Um, and so yeah, I just I I learned to really love education. And then uh, when I didn't have any schooling, I graduated. And I wasn't in class learning and stuff like that. There was uh, like, yeah, I missed it. There was a void. I, there was a void. Yeah, I really liked it. And so, um, yeah. yeah. And then ended up teaching. Uh, I did focus for five years. And I, I found that I um, was like lesson planning in my head when I was reading something. Like, oh, how could I teach this to someone? Or, um, you know, just kind of felt a pull back to that. So, mm. One of the things that I've heard you talk about um, in in different conversations that we've had is the virtue of education. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that is, what you mean by that? Yeah. So I think there's like a virtue of like studiousness. So uh, just like fundamentally, this is like Father Robert Spitzer's big yeah. thing, his four levels the really, of happiness. really, really smart guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like astrophysicist, philosopher. Yeah. yeah, yeah all the one. above. Yeah. yeah priest. Okay. Um, Pretty smart, smart guy. <laughs> but he, he went through and he wanted to study um, happiness, basically. And so he compiled the thoughts of a lot of different um, theologians, philosophers, primarily Aristotle, Aquinas, and uh, Augustine. And he came up with these four levels. And basically what he'd say, we're made, we're made for happiness, yeah, that's, that's just on a foundational human level. Yeah, that's the thing that we desire in and of itself. Yeah. So I could start with a line of questioning about like why'd you get up in the morning, but you know you you well because I have to because I have to get to work. Why do you go to work? You keep asking questions, and eventually you'll get to um, because I want to be happy or something like happy. it. Mm -hmm. And if you ask why do you want to be happy, then you're like I don't know. I want to be happy, and that's actually the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the one thing we desire in and of itself is happiness. Mm. And so if we look to the things of the world, material happiness, um, like pleasure, just sense pleasure, food, stuff like that doesn't last for very long. Um, if I have too much of it, I can get sick of it, mm -hmm. right? So like when we moved back here from Orlando, all I wanted was Bagel Boy. Uh, Don't tell me you're sick of Bagel Boy. Uh, not sick of Bagel Boy. But you needed to just have a, some time away. Well, I had a traumatic experience. Oh, no. Where I went into Cinnamon Crunch with honey, yeah. walnut, cream cheese. Amazing. And they gave me fat free. Oh, Zach. And it I'm tasted so sorry. like I know it tasted like dirty socks. And my happiness yeah. was ended. Yeah. Completely. So if that is that I received that wound. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it was a deep wound. I'm still pondering it, <laughs> quite frankly. But uh if if that is the like basis of my happiness is too too gone. Like going to bed on a cold winter day, getting into a warm bed, mm -hmm. I know that the alarm's gonna go off. And what mm -hmm. feels like 20 minutes, mm -hmm. I'm going to get cold again, mm -hmm. and it's going to be worse. Mm -hmm. So that can't last. What about my status? Okay, that's great. I have that. But eventually, um, you know, uh, if you have status because of your mind, your mind's going to go potentially. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's like physical ability, that's going to go. That can't be. There's always going to be someone better than me wherever I go. That's not that long. What about love for other people? That's great. But also... Other people, we're getting we're getting closer to the answer. Love others and love God, but, um, but if I just rely on that, what I'm trying to do is put infinite happiness and infinite desire on a finite person, mm -hmm. and that's like a hell for that person. Mm -hmm. That that's not mm -hmm. they can't do that. They're a finite person, so I have to go beyond that to the transcendent. 
to truth, beauty, and goodness. My fundamental desire is I want to know the truth. And so having a virtue of like studiousness or a virtue that allows me to enter into education is something that fixes my mind on that, where I can look at all the other experiences that line up and say, how does this point me to that? Mm-hmm. All these things are actually geared towards pointing me towards ultimate happiness. To a something more. Yeah. It, like this stuff bores me or only is good for so long because it points me. So it's a virtue that keeps that in mind, even though that's difficult, that trains myself um, or, or, or I train myself towards that. Um, and that's like my habit of, of being, my habit of acting is these things are an education and the transcendental is an education in union with God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or they should be. Okay, so let's talk about that practically because I'm just – like for for you or or you can use me as an example or something um what does that look like in ordinary real life that it's actually a virtue to pursue truth and to not remain stagnant perhaps or to not remain for you know for me my guilt is distraction i can allow distraction to really take me away from a real pursuit of truth. Does that make sense? Yep. So what does that look like in the, for the ordinary daily life of a person to be in the virtue of education? Um, so let's say I've steeped myself in the truth, right? Through the scriptures, through reading, through pondering, through partaking in the life of grace through prayer. Um, you know, the beginning of prayer is meditation and then just kind of like once God moves you past just that discursive thinking and just you commune with truth itself. I live that. Um, when I'm looking at something like my phone, the whole experience is way different. Um, because I look and instead of just sitting and like giving into temptation or not giving into temptation, I'm starting to think more deeply like, why am I giving into temptation? Um, Mm. what am I seeking here? Mm. Uh, and, and if I've educated myself, right. And I've not only, so on top of this, um, one of the things I like to go back to, side tangent really quickly, and jump Amen. back, um, is this idea of what a true philosopher or a true theologian is. So a f- philosophy means love of wisdom. And so Plato, let's say the true philosopher is the one that has eros, like erotic love, love, desirous love, yep, mm-hmm. to have the thing for myself, even if I have to go through torture to get it, right? Um, to have that for wisdom is the point. Right, happiness is the point. There's no point in philosophy unless there's happiness at the end. Mm-hmm. And so he says to love wisdom so much that you do that. And then the theologian. So in the Eastern rites of the church, the Byzantine rites and stuff, they add the term the theologian after some saint's names, like it's Saint John the theologian, Saint Simeon the new theologian. Hmm. But the theologian is not just someone who knows a lot of stuff. That's what we think about. The theologian is the one that communes with the things that they know. Mm-hmm. So they're contemplatives on top of just knowing stuff as they live that wisdom. And so they have mastered these virtues and they've given themselves over to the grace of the things they learn. They don't just learn for the sake of um, seeming smart or saying that I've read this book list, which is I think why a lot of us read books to say that we've read the book, hmm. not for what's in the book. or sure. like It's important. So many people have read it. Let's look at it. Yeah. Um, but they read it because they love the truth. And so if I do that and I have that mindset or I'm striving towards that, that changes the whole thing. I'm looking at my phone and I'm thinking about it differently. Or, um, you know, I have five Oreos 
I know the truth of who I am, what I'm supposed to do. Can I eat two of them and enjoy them more because I understand how this fits into the grand scheme because I love wisdom? And I say, and so maybe I have less level one happiness, but I've enjoyed the level one happiness that I have, and I've let it propel me further. Mm, that's a terrible example because no one can just eat I two know, Oreos. I <laughs> but I'm following what you're saying. <laughs> Unless there's only two Oreos. <laughs> Unless there's only two Oreos, yeah. then what do you do? <laughs> then then you're good. <laughs> and then there's a all-out war that breaks out in your house about who ate the last yeah. two Oreos. Yeah, that's never happened. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so I just, I'm, I'm struck by this because I think... Um, and I'm so guilty of this myself and it's become very clear to me lately, which is partly why I called you and said, Hey, will you, will you come have a conversation about this with me? Because I can tend to remain at the first, uh, almost the first thing that I see or read. And so social media is a really good example of this. We are experts at sharing articles. Right. We are experts at read an article, share an article, or we're experts at really short, like two sentence things that sound really poetic and sound really good. And there's been times even where I have shared something and then a few weeks will go by and I'll still be thinking about it in a way that's not restful. Mm-hmm. And I, if I dig into it, it's it's maybe because, man, that actually wasn't really true or it wasn't really to the heart of it or whatever. Um, and so I'm just, you know, kind of curious from your perspective as an educator, how you see that playing out in our ability to be educated, to be, to learn when we're kind of attached to snapshots of things rather than, as you said, just love of wisdom itself, love of truth itself and a willingness to do the hard work to discover the truth, um, rather than jumping at what sounds Does that make sense? What sounds poetic and moving? Yep. Um, So I think a couple things like uh, I the kind of how we do education and we define education as something that happens in a classroom, Mm -hmm. something that you get um, through that means and you're tested to see if you received the proper education. You put on the scale that says, okay, you received 90 percent of what you should have. Yep. Right, and I was listening to a TED talk from um, uh, is it Sal Khan, the guy that made uh, Khan Academy? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> What's Khan Academy? Khan Academy, online uh, academy that he, I mean, you can get a full. He has AP classes, everything wow. all laid out okay. for you. So it's really interesting. Cool. But he was doing a TED talk, and he's like, "It's interesting because, um, like, you can get a C in something, mm-hmm. and then they're like, okay, uh, we'll give you a test. You got a C, seventy eh, percent, whatever. Let's move on to the next thing.' So he's like." Um, let's take that analogy and put it with a house. So it's like, okay, you built an okay foundation, about a C. Let's move on though, because like it's time to move on. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so he's like, you build and, and you're screwed. Yeah, and so like in in math, I can relate because I was terrible with math. Uh, let's say, I guess I guess that's a way, that's a way you could say it. Uh, <laughs> but let's say. Can we use a bleep button for that part? <laughs> uh, um, but let's say in math, he said, you miss. Um, one concept, like you're not really good at, um, some aspect of geography or geometry, geometry, yeah. Okay. I'm with um, you. So he said, let's say you move on to like pre-calculus and it relies, it builds on the concepts that you learned in geometry, mm-hmm. but you got to see because you missed this concept. Well, suddenly mm-hmm. you're just bad at math. 
Mm -hmm. is what people say. Mm -hmm. No, I just never paused. To fix what was wrong in the foundation. Right. And And the problem with the whole thing is that I think my education is just getting a grade and moving on to the next thing. I just need to pass and move on instead of I'm building slowly but surely. And the whole point of math, math is a branch of philosophy. It's a branch of logic that helps me understand and logically think and put stuff together. It helps me build my mind as a human being. So I spent all these years hating math, <laughs> but it's because I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't love wisdom yeah. for the sake of wisdom. I looked and said, when am I ever going to use this again in, cl- in after class? Yeah. This is so impractical. Um, and then and then moved on. And so when we look at like articles and stuff like that, that's how we've trained ourselves. I just need to keep this information long enough to regurgitate it. Yep. And the whole point is taking it and then like just kind of moving on. Never uh, working with the idea. So our, um, our venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen, where is he venerable now? Venerable, yeah. Um, he had this better analogy that he said all this stuff like meditating on this stuff or, or learning, kind of like eating, mm-hmm. right? Or prayer is like eating, where at first you chew on it or you take a bite of it, then you chew on it and you savor it for taste and things like that. He's like, at a certain point, if the taste suits you, you chew it further and then ingest it and it becomes a part of you. Um, and then there's another option. You can spit it out, I guess. It's not very polite, but like you can reject it. Um, and so that's that's a better idea of education is to take in the true. Um, and, and chew on it for a while. Yeah. And so we think that when the test is done, my education's done. Yeah. I don't need that anymore. Yeah. Actually, it's vital to our humanity yeah. to have it. And we're receiving an education, whether we know it or not. We're receiving it either from... Um, you know, these articles or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is we can actually think incorrectly. Yeah. In some ways. Mm-hmm. And I, and to be, to be honest, there, there have been times where I will recognize I'm actually thinking about this thing incorrectly. And I'm trying to think of a good example. And normally when I see it, then the other way, it's, it's like, Oh, duh. Like, oh, two days ago I was trying to plug, <laughs> this is really embarrassing. I was trying to plug something in and, and Matt was telling me, no, just unplug that one and plug this side in. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, no, 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 I need the other side. I, it's, this is the wrong entry point or whatever. And he looks at me like, what are you, ta- what are you talking about? And then it dawned on me, oh my gosh, I was thinking about this completely wrong. No, this is exactly the point that it connects. It was like a extension is literally an extension cord, which is really embarrassing to say, (laughs) but it took me a minute and I was recognizing like, I'm I'm thinking about this incorrectly. And yeah. yeah, So, so how, how do you set, uh, people up? How do, or how do we recorrect? How do we correct poor logic? How do we establish a logical way of thought? That's a huge question. (laughs) Yeah, That's a big philosophical philosophical question um i mean like or how does that start from the beginning you know like laying that foundation what components need to be a part of that so that people can figure out that one plus one equals two or a Mm -hmm. follows b equals c whatever um well in my mind and i guess i'm not as like fatalistic as some people about it but um it's kind of like the the same thing as saying our foundation's a C, so let's build the house. Mm-hmm. Um, our our educational foundation is basically kind of a C. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a straight A student, like um, I teach morality, 
And it's very possible for someone to get an A and then be a terribly immoral person. Cool. <laughs> that's well, so true. Like it's, it, So that's not actually an education in morality. It matters a lot more that you've, that you've been given some principles that you can ponder further and apply to your action. That's the point. That become a part of you. Yeah, not the grade. Yeah. Um, An education that actually becomes part of you. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so I think like foundationally, the very first step um, is it's actually very, very difficult. Like I was doing a reading lesson with my, um, with my five-year-old last night and she's just like, "I'm, I'm not so good at reading. And so it's actually, that's not a thing. Everyone can read. And a lot of people, I hear this a lot. People are like, oh, I'm just a bad reader. Um, you just don't read. Mm. That's, that's a very different thing, being a bad reader and just not reading. Mm. Because anyone can, anyone and everyone that has learned, everyone has the potential to read and absorb a book. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so with Harvard, it's just like, no, 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 you, she's just being, it's like, you're being lazy. <laughs> Maybe I should yeah. say that to a five-year-old. But I'm like, you, you can read. It is very difficult. She's like, it's taken so many months. I'm like, it does take many, many months to learn how to read. Yeah. And then on top of that, it takes many, many years to learn how to deeply read. Yeah. Or actually learn from what yeah. you've read. So I think that's kind of the first step is like how to think logically, how to do things. Um, it takes a lot of very difficult, hard thought. Yeah. And we have to accept that first and foremost. It's going to be a long process. Um, we have to have patience. Uh, we have to concentrate. And, um, and frankly, to, to live it out, we have to get rid and prune some things in our life, um, maybe by limiting them or even like completely getting rid of them. Hmm. Do you think kids particularly actually dislike education? No, for sure not. I think we train them to dislike education. Okay. Say more about that. Okay. (laughs) I think like the modern educational system, we put in. Um, reinforcements because we're operating from the principle that kids don't want to learn things, that they think it's boring or they don't like it. So we have positive and negative reinforcement. Positive reinforcement, I give you a reward to like goad you along. Negative reinforcement, I give you a punishment to goad you along like, mm. or to stop you doing something else. And so there's like this fundamental principle that like I need to grade you because if I don't, you're not going to do your work. Um, we need to discipline you because you don't want to behave mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And now I think in practice, I work with a ton of teachers that don't operate from these principles. So I think in practice, there's a bunch of great teachers, but um, a whole system that's kind of built on that first presupposition, right? That, mm-hmm. That's kind of what happens. And all the, good, all the good people that don't believe that stuff that's built into it, you have a whole system that way. You actually are working as a teacher. I'm working from um, like a disadvantage because our system has actually trained them to be that way, right? It's actually trained them because they have to memorize it all, regurgitate it on a test, and then move on to the next thing you're mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. So how do you do your tests? <laughs> okay. So uh, my test, they think it's going to be a great situation, and then they hate it. But I give them a blank, <laughs> blank sheet of paper, <laughs> and uh, uh, is it Richard Feynman? He's like a mathematician okay. and a physician, but he had this. he was a great teacher on top of that. And he has this method that you need to explain everything in simplest terms. So he'd drive professors insane because they would just explain things like professors. And he's like, make that simpler, make that simpler, make that simpler until you basically come up with 
an eight-year-old definition. Yeah. So he's like, eight is not, it's just an arbitrary yep, number. But I'm with you. Kid, that's of a reason, but at the simplest level. That's yep. kind of what you think. And so on tests or whatever, I give him a blank sheet of paper. I'm like, this is your whiteboard. Pretend that you're standing in front of a bunch of eighth graders and you're teaching them what I taught you. I don't want to see what I said, my examples, my words. Don't just memorize them. You can have your notes next to you. I know what I said. So and you're I trying can, to get them to actually internalize it. Yeah. Internalize the information. Yep. And then they don't get a grade. Hmm. I circle a bunch of stuff. It actually gives me um, freedom, I found, to correct things that I know are wrong. When I do give grades on stuff, I find that I'm like, well, you're not necessarily wrong, but you're not right. I guess hmm. I'll give that to you. Hmm. When I do mm-hmm. it this way, I find that I'm like, no, that's wrong. Circle, redo that part. Yeah. Because I don't understand what you're saying. You so might you make be right. them go back and do it again. Yeah. Or redo it. Yeah. So sometimes they're working on a test for like a month or so, which I think is great. Cause I'm like, whatever grade you want, go ahead and do it. And sometimes I'll try and take advantage of the system. Yeah. And just like write random stuff. And then I start capping the, <laughs> the amount that they can do. You have to be practical in some way. <laughs> sure. But I was like, the grade is secondary. Understanding that you know something and can tell me it is like way different. And the cool thing I found through that is I've gotten great examples from them and it's actually refined my thinking because as a teacher, the first thing I have to say up front is I'm like, I'm not going to teach you. I'm teaching what the church teaches you because I teach theology. So I'm not going to teach you like necessarily like false things, but I might not understand them well enough to explain them fully to you. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong in the way I'm saying them. I might look back at everything I've taught these past couple of years and my understanding has grown so much that I'm like, ooh, I would change everything about what I said. Yeah. So I was like, we're working together to learn this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so these tests, I'm like, it's cool. They've, they've literally taught me things. That's, that's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it makes, me, it makes me think too, what's the role of our own self-discovery or of our own discovery of a truth that helps us to internalize it? So like for them, if they're coming up with a new example that they came to themselves it has to root it in a new way. You know, it's like I can show my three-year-old how to tie her shoes, but when she figures out how to tie, you know, just that initial wraparound, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I did it, mom. Like she's so excited. What's the role of just us coming to that rather than it being forced upon us or for lack of a better way to say it? Yeah, so that's that's one of the like Maria Montessori principles, um, where the teacher first and foremost their role is to observe um, something rather than to teach, rather than just jump in and intervene. Hmm. Before I jump in and intervene, so in 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 kind of a normal classroom like I'm in now, I have thirty kids sitting in front of me, all with like incredibly different needs. And if you talk to any educator, they're like, that's like the number one struggle. Hmm. Everyone understands. We're trying to fit all these different needs. For everyone in the room. Hmm. Um, and everyone's a different, you know, reading levels or understanding or in theology, they're operating from a different set of principles. Like I could have these people just completely need like philosophical yep. discussions about God. These people would just want to talk about the Bible because they've accepted all that stuff. These people are intellectual. These people just had a great experience of faith and they believe in God. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, to like pause and find different ways to take in data on what's going on in front of me is really important to stop and say, this is interesting, like having them turn in their notebooks with their notes in it to see like, oh man, they're like doodling and this is really weird. But then I look at at the test or whatever I just gave them and um, 
I'm like, but they got it. But they got it. But that was the day that they doodled. So then I go back and I'm like, you need to doodle like way more, dude. <laughs> like you need to do that. Um, or someone that is distracted or something. I'm like, what well, you seem distracted this day, kind of what's going on. Cause there's a whole, I mean, an education isn't just learning information. It's a, it's a formation in humanity. So like these kids, if they've had a terrible experience at lunch, mm-hmm. like to me, that might seem silly. I'm like, dude, you're going to, you're going to get through this. Don't worry. To them, it's like the it's end of the world. It's a big deal. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so there's an education um, going on in like human formation of how do I deal with this and persevere. Mm-hmm. That's an important aspect um, that I need to observe what's going on. Or um, like there's one class I had, um, I had a bunch of students on this one and they were all in terrible moods and were like combative. I'm like, uh, you guys had a physics test today, didn't you? And like, Seriously? Yeah, yeah, they did. And so I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, well, um, when you get your results tomorrow and you realize you did much better than you thought you did today, then we'll go through this topic. But like, what else can we talk about today? Because today we're, we're not getting there. nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I am like so impressed that you have that ability and that's a habit that you've established to really take in the people that you're teaching, the people that you're trying to engage with. And I think that's that's one of the things that I, I think is often lacking in kind of social discourse is an awareness of who we're talking to mm-hmm. um, because we're talking to the masses uh, in uh, press conferences or in social media uh, posts or, or whatever. Um, what's the role of just one-on-one education in that way? What do you see as being helpful like I know you even shared an example in an earlier conversation that we had about a small group getting together, a small group and just meditating on something together, thinking about something together, but being in the presence of other people in the pursuit of truth. Yep. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, John Henry Newman basically said you could get a better university education by having no classes and just for a year sitting nine university students in a in a dorm together and just like letting them talk about stuff. Are you serious? Yeah, because like. Yeah. <laughs> because then it's not, is it because of the reward thing? Like I got to do this paper and this paper and this paper and turn it in and get it done, mm-hmm. whatever, as opposed to I'm going to actually explore thought and debate and discuss and, you yeah. know, what's the difference? Well, he, he has a different idea of how things go. So he says you spend the early ages just learning, like you need to learn how to read you need to learn how, like, the basics of mathematics, the basics of, like, scientific study, that kind of stuff. Um, logic, mm-hmm. things like that is an actual subject, mm-hmm. learning how to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's one of our issues. I know we've talked about recently where it's, like, we learn rhetoric without logic, so we yeah. learn how to say things convincingly without yeah. learning if they're actually logically sound. Yes. Because we've taken the logic part out of traditional education, and everyone's had a public speaking class yes. as part of almost all levels. Yes. But you don't actually learn if your arguments and you are some, sound. Yeah, you somewhat go through them, but you don't spend a whole lot of time learning how to think. Yes. Which is an issue. Yes. Um, but... Uh, I literally, I was reading a blog the other day that said something that sounded so good that I wrote it down and then I wrote it down and I thought, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That actually doesn't make sense. I mean, it was <laughs> unbelievably poetic and it was like made for a billboard, but it didn't actually make sense. Yep. And somebody called me on it or whatever. It was for a, a Bishop's Bulletin article or something. <laughs> and the and the director was like, what are you actually trying to say here? Yeah. 
shoot, I don't know. That doesn't <laughs> no, you're right. That doesn't make sense. It's so anyway, continue. Well, Stephen Stephen King, he wrote a book on writing, which is like it's just called On Writing, and it's one of the best handbooks on like how to write. Okay. And uh, one of his big phrases is kill your darlings. What so does that mean? It, your favorite scenes, your favorite lines, your favorite ideas. Um, when you look at the whole scheme of things, you have to leave them on the cutting floor more than you're comfortable with, and you can't be so tied to them, mm, you know, which I thought was yeah. kind of cool. So Leave your darlings. Yeah. 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 Oh, brutal. <laughs> so it's good. I tell, like, the seventh graders I teach writing to to, like, kill their darlings. One of the kids is like, what are you talking what about? This is terrifying. Like, Don't worry. Horror <laughs> authors talk about it, so you're good. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to uh, his idea, he said, so school kind of gives you all these principles. He's like, but university... Or kind of, I think, what we're trying to achieve in a lot of our small groups and things like that. Because I think the reason why there's a desire for small groups is we realize there's something missing Mm -hmm. that we haven't been given the fullness. So um, we need to do something to kind of supplement and mature in our thinking and even just rediscover or discover for the first time the things we should have known, which is really good because I think it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, But he said the idea of a university is putting together how everything ties together. So like even Mortimer Adler, he says, you know, the first couple levels of reading, there's like four levels of reading. Mm-hmm. And the first level is just reading just to see what's on the page. Then eventually you understand what's on the page and you're annotating the page. But then eventually the highest level of reading is not only am I reading one book in one page, I could be reading something from a whole different subject genre or whatever over here and I'm making connections. And I'm connecting them to the other thing. Yeah. And so like a small group, I think sometimes we get really into like the program that we're doing or we spend so much time on what we're doing. But I was like, if we're truly someone that's striving after truth, that's striving to be the philosopher or the theologian, and we come together, and it's just like, this is something that came up today, this idea, this paragraph. I don't need a program to look and say, okay, parable of the sower. Mm-hmm. Cool, you've been re- that stood out to you for some reason. Mm-hmm. Let's sit, let's look at that. We maybe have a couple of resources that we can look up, a commentary or something. And then we just sit and let the conversation kind of grow from that. Mm. So instead of like, it's me sitting over here thinking on my own, then coming, sharing idea, 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 and then like move on. Mm-hmm. Instead, we're forming something kind of together. And that's kind of the, the John Henry Newman's idea of like a, a university, I think, a little it. bit. Yeah. yeah, you're contemplating it together. Yeah. Um, not in isolation. Yeah. And in that way, it can refine, maybe you're not killing your darlings, but you're refining your ideas. Yeah. And you're like, that sounded poetic. Cool. Can I add some like something into that? Is it actually true? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I had a college professor that I remember saying in one of my first classes with him that he thought the modern university or the university as we know it was like the greatest mistake of the modern world. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> you know, and he's a college professor. And I was yeah. like, okay. What's that mean? You know, and, and and he was pointing to exactly that. He he just said like, we aren't actually educating people in how to effectively think about things and how to effectively engage in ideas. Um, we just receive and regurgitate rather than like pondering, contemplating, really diving in. And we often say like, I'm learning, I'm whatever, but are we actually doing the work, which is extensive and right. complex. Well, I think yeah. it was Frank Shee that was like, a lot of people leave the university. And this was from Jeff Cavins and some of his, uh, yeah. uh, he was quoting him. He said, a lot of people leave university or leave religious ed and what they have is just a big unorganized pile of Catholicism. Yeah. He's like, and you don't have a story or an order mm-hmm. to put it. So the analogy he used is like, you go up into your um, attic and you find a trunk filled with your grandpa's belongings and you have love letters, an old uniform from World War II, all this different stuff. 
He's like, but then you have to take it all out of the box and you have to lay it down in like a timeline mm. and you get a story. You don't just get a pile of, mm. you, you put together what's, what's there, what's true about yeah. this, this yeah. Um, relative of yours yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I think we leave with just a pile of ideas or opinions because mm-hmm. I remember, um, and this is another thing that we talked about recently, but I remember in, in high school, I call myself basically, I would have been like communist fodder and like yeah. figurative because yeah. I, I did not know any of the ideas that I championed. I read some of my old writing because my mom has like a box of my writing. <laughs> so I like read my angsty old papers about they don't understand us and where I'm still like, actually, I kind of agree with yeah, my adults ideas. Yeah, still don't understand yeah, kids. I'm You're just like still like an, on that train. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like this angry little child, you know? And I'm like, so the problem was I had an opinion. Yeah. But um, an opinion's a great start and it's great to have that. But I need to recognize it as such and then I need to go about the hard work. If I'm going to have an idea with conviction, I need to go about the hard work of forming that idea mm. and being willing to kind of like open my mind up to truth and then hold on to it. And then Christophonic, or no, he, he quotes G.K. Chesterton. Um, he's like, um, learning is like eating or your mind is like uh, your mouth. Um, there's what a lot you of eat eating is what you, yeah. Well, um, eventually... If you leave your mouth open too long, you're never nourished and it all falls out. Huh. So you have to close your mouth on something solid in order to be nourished. You have to close your mind on something solid and then open it up to receive something new. But eventually you have to close on some idea. If I'm just walking around, just being open-minded to new ideas, but never chomping on something. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what we do. We're missing it. Yeah. So we're just kind of like mm-hmm. big open mouths that are letting food fall mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. kind of a mm-hmm. thing. And so... Um, yeah, and I continue to do that into college, things like that, um, and just take other people's opinions I thought were smarter and things like that. And um, and it ended up, I took on all these different ideas and stuff, but when I had to enter my first election and vote for someone and be like morally responsible for the vote I cast, then suddenly it was a very different scenario and I was listening in a very different way. But I was just taking random ideas from people and like attributing them to myself. And so, yeah. And, and well, oftentimes we don't, we do that without even recognizing it. Right. And it can be yeah. dangerous. Yeah. Really dangerous. Well, Zach, this is, this has been so helpful and it's, it's really helpful to me. It's something I'm thinking a lot about lately. Just how do we pursue authentic education? And, and again, that term that you used at the beginning, just the virtue of education itself. Before we end one more quick question for you, I want to know, is there a question that you have been pondering recently? So I would say this is a place with more questions and answers. And I think it's in the process of asking those questions that we learn more about ourselves and the world around us. So I want to know what's something that you've been thinking about. What's a question you've been thinking about? Okay. So um, I'm trying to put together, I have a research paper to write later, so I'm trying to think of a topic. (laughs) But one of the things that popped into my head was, and it kind of has to do with what we're talking about today, in my education psychology class in college, I learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And one of the top things on the pyramid is called self-actualization. Yep. Of like I can make myself kind of actual through doing all these things. Um, and I was like, okay, that's the predominant thing that we use in education. But, um, there's an idea in Aquinas that is, um, everything, uh, that's created has potential potency that is reduced to act by something else outside of it that already has that thing. So fire makes wood hot because it has heat and gives it to the wood. The wood's not going to make itself hot. Yeah. Um, so I was like, so that means I can't self-actualize something else's. Actualizing. So two question kind of two questions kind of come from that. Number one is what is um, making the, my potential to know or be something like actualized? What's working on me? 
Hmm. And then the second one is like, how does that stuff, uh, the kind of like modern psych psychological stuff kind of fit into this whole idea? Process. Like what does self-actualization actually kind of mean? Yeah. So those have been, I mean, I guess bigger questions, but like big those questions have been indeed. Yeah. Big questions indeed. I feel like I'm gonna have to go back and like, listen to you, like lay that out one more time, just cause there's so much, there's so much there. Well, Zach, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and joining me for a conversation. I, uh, can I put your email or something in our show notes sure. for people to follow up if they have more questions about methods, especially if you're, if you're a parent and looking at this, this for your child or whatever, I think Zach, you're an awesome resource. Um, you and your, and your, and your wife, Megan on how to educate children well. Um, and I know people would love to, to learn more from you in that way. So friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you continue to pursue the virtue of education yourself, read more, listen more, uh, contemplate and chew on wisdom. We'll see you next time.